0: reminded ourselves of the importance I want us to consider three questions so question number one or key point number one what is God teaching you in his word what is God teaching you in his word we'll never be able to be missional in our purpose as a church if we're not spending time in God's word if we're not continually asking ourselves what is God teaching me and what does God want me to do each week in our books, we have a section for sermon notes, and at the very bottom on each, each of those pages, there's a, there's a question, and it's, it's really a question we should ask every time we hear, whether, whether it's me, whether it's you know, somebody else preaching, it's a question we should always ask ourselves, what does God want me to do in response to having heard his word? Because as we reflect upon that, we, we will it will force us to begin to realize and to think about what is God's word teaching us, and what is my application from that? What is it that God wants me to do? And so I, j- I jotted down some things. Some things were not new to me, as if it was the first time that I had heard it or first time I learned it, but it was just a, a good reminder of the things that God continues to remind me of and refresh my memory and to uh, to teach me the importance. Some of the things over the past 40 days that I've learned, one of the things that I've learned is that over half of active U.S. churchgoers have never even heard of the Great Commission. And when I read that, when I think about that, it's motivation, again, it's one of those things that uh, I want God's Word to have front and center and for us to, to be motivated by God's Word and motivated to make sure that we know the Great Commission. I'm reminded that the Great Commission simply means to take the gospel to the entire world. I think sometimes we get we can get so focused on maybe our corner of the world that we forget that we have a, a bigger mission in mind, that there is more, more to it, and sometimes we get, I think, one of the things that God... Taught me um, was when I start thinking oh, we're, we're too small of a church, or we're too we're too this, or we're too that, we're too this, and then God whispers and says, "You're right. You can't do it. You can't do it because of your size. You can't do it in your own strength. You can't. You are dependent upon Him. We are dependent upon the Holy Spirit's power." and the unlimited power that God has to accomplish great things through us so even in the smallness of our early days we don't grow weary because we recognize that there is a Holy Spirit at work I've learned that some people in the church, not, not ours but I have seen this through the years and reminded of this uh, some people in the church just simply don't care about the Great Commission and Um, I wouldn't say that that's true about our church uh, and I hope that it never will be but I think that the the way we battle against that is continually reminding ourselves this is our mission, this is what we're here for. And I've learned that missional living is not easy. Missional living is not easy. It requires sacrifice. And you know what's confusing to me? We as a people, as professing Christians, we say we believe God exists, we say that he uh, has written a book, we say that we believe the book, the Bible, to be the infallible word of God, yet we make excuses as to why we don't read it. We make excuses as to why we don't like this part or that part or want to obey this part or that part, and then we wonder why churches in America are declining. So here's the simplest of, of answers that I can give. If the Word of God, if the Bible is truly the Word of God and it's life-changing, and yet we're not seeing lives changed, then I would suggest we're not spending enough time in prayer and enough time in the Word of God. Because the fault is not in God's Word, right? I mean, let's think about that for a moment. The fault is not here. The fault is not in God's Word. God's Word is not where the deficiency is found. So where would it be? Well, the Word of God has, has been preached from the pulpit. The Word of God has, has been preached not just from me, but from several capable people, men of God, all over the place. So the fault is not in the lack of even preaching the Word of God. If we're going to see revival in the church, if we're going to see revival even in Grace Point Church, And across the United States and around the globe, it must begin with our own prayer and, at the same time, time in God's Word. And we have to repent of our excuses and allow the Word of God to transform us. So what is all that? It's the the lamppost. We're transformed by God's Word. And we're learning, and we're constantly learning new things from God's Word look again at Acts 1.8. We've looked at this numerous times throughout the 40 days. Acts 1.8 says, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. The Holy Spirit, you know what the Holy Spirit does? It illuminates God's Word. It illuminates God's Word and helps us to understand it, and it gives us the power to live it out. So as I said earlier, this is the end of a book, not the end of our missional living. We're to keep going. It's the start of a continuation. It's the of our journey, and what is God teaching you? And ultimately then, how is God transforming you to the image of his son? Question number two then is this. How are you mobilizing the gospel beyond the walls of the church? How are you mobilizing the gospel beyond the walls of the church? So let me share with you why I believe According to scriptures, why many churches don't know about the Great Commission? I mean, that's confusing, right? Why wouldn't more churches know about it? Why, why so few? Why, can, why is it only seventeen percent can tell you what the Great Commission is, recognize it from a list of scripture passages, and then tell you what it, what it what it is? I think the answer is found in First Corinthians. In First Corinthians, chapter eleven. I think the same reason is for us is the same reason that it was in Paul's time. The Apostle Paul told the church at Corinth, listen to this, that their gathering together was actually doing more harm than good. Think about that. Listen to this. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 17. Now, in giving these instructions, I do not praise you. Wow. That's harsh words to a church, right? Think about this. What did Paul usually do? When Paul writes to a church, a lot of times we see him saying, hey, keep doing what you're doing. Remember the things that we taught you while I was with you. You're doing a great job. Keep it up. And then he writes to church at Corinth and says, now in giving these instructions, I do not praise you since you come together not for the better, but for the worse. Can you imagine that being written in Scripture about Grace Point Church, <laughs> that'd be terrifying, wouldn't it? Can you imagine being in, in Scripture, the book that's going to last for all of eternity, what was written about your church? Can you imagine if you belong to First Community Church in Corinth? And, and, and lo and behold, what is, you know? Paul writes you and says, listen, when you guys get together, you're, you're doing more harm than good. This is, what a terrible indictment upon the church at Corinth. And then what does he say? For first of all, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and in part, I believe it. Now, he, what, what does he mean? In part, I believe it. He was like, it's not a far stretch for people to say, you guys are not getting along. He's like saying, you know what? I've seen it myself. That's, it's kind of like, I believe it. I can see that this is not a stretch. You guys can't get along with each other. And that when you're getting together, there's division among you. And there's problems in, in your church. And you're, you're at odds with one another. You're having a hard time. And he's like, I, it's not hard for me to believe. It's not hard for me to believe. And then look what he says. For there must also be factions among you that those who are approved may be recognized among you. Now, that's a bit confusing, right? What's he saying? What in the world is he saying there are factions and approved and this and that? What in the world is Paul saying here? Who are these factions? Who are the approved? Who's not being recognized? What's he saying? Well, the approved... Are going to be those that God has called to lead the church at Corinth, right? What did they do? When, when Paul would go around and, and plant these churches, they would appoint leaders, and they would be vetted people who were pastors and leaders, and they would say, all right, you're going to pastor this church. They were the appointed leaders. It's difficult for us in our context today to fathom that because most of our churches are very autonomous and and, and we determine who our own pastors are. But at this time, the apostles and Paul and others are going to be saying, here's your pastor. They are the, they're approved. They're your leaders. And so these are pastors. They're overseers. They're elders. However, there are some that have created a faction, a division, a group of people in the church, a faction, not just Not just people who disagree. These are people who have organized themselves to actively go against the leadership of the church. Can you imagine? Can you imagine a church where people are getting together and saying, what can we do to undermine the pastor? What can we do to, you know, to undermine his leadership? What can we do? And... and There's a group of people that are doing this at the church at Corinth. Now, let me pause here, side side note. Every time I drive by a church that says, Corinth Baptist Church, I go, (laughs) I I laugh and I go, did y'all read your Bible before you came up with the name for that church? Did did y'all read it? Did you read chapter 11? Look a little bit closer, because I don't know that I would have chosen Corinth as the descriptor of the church. All right, side note back at it. All right, so here's the deal. It's actually discouraging. They're discouraging others from from following the leadership of the church. And Paul says, "You're doing more harm than good. You guys are getting together and there's a group of you who are actively doing everything that you can to put a stop to the leadership, those that were approved as your pastors, elders." overseers I think that a lot of that goes, in our church, goes on in our churches today and I think that one of the reasons that so many U.S. churchgoers don't know why we exist as a church is because they're always at odds with each other they're always, well, I wanted this and I wanted that and I wanted this and I don't like what the pastor's doing and I, don't, I think you should be doing this and I don't like this. And, and churches have created factions, these little groups of people who are, who are doing everything that they can to just create division. And when that happens, what do you think suffers? The mission of the church. I think the reason that our churches don't know what the Great Commission is is the same reason that the church at Corinth didn't know is because they were divided among themselves over different issues, and they got got started on complaining and bickering and didn't like their leadership and this and that, and it creates a division. So, do you want to be a part of a faction that's putting a stop to those things, or do you want to be a part of the mission? I want to be a church that's all about the mission. I, I, I... I can, I've I've seen some churches that are more concerned with the faction than the mission. I've seen them. Those who are part of the mission allow their conversations to be centered on the gospel and the Great Commission. And those who are part of the faction use their conversations to tear down. So, like I said, I've seen it. I've seen people hinder the work of the Great Commission because they're more concerned with having a church that operates more like a country club than a church, than a New Testament church. So let's remind ourselves that you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Let me, let me, let me put it this way. Let me, let, me have it, let me have it read to you another way. In fact, the best way I think we could do this is through video. So, Cheryl, if you would, uh, let's watch Acts one eight. But the Holy Spirit will come to you and give you power. The Holy Spirit will make your feet Then you will tell other people everywhere in the world about me. You will do that in. And. In And in a place far away. (laughs) We will enjoy some outtakes uh, at the end of the service. But we're reminded, right? The Holy Spirit gives us the power to do it in, in, in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Third question. How are you living out the gospel by going the second mile? We've had these before us all this time. We've had these three images constantly here as a reminder that we are to be transformed by the illumination of God's word. We are to, to, to go in community with one another, in relationship with one another, to mobilize the gospel. We are then to go that second mile, to go beyond the Latin phrase, mile passum, the phrase that Jesus used, this, the, a thousand paces, mile two is what we're supposed to go, the second mile. Let me ri- remind you again that during the time of Christ, the Roman soldiers would force people uh, to carry their baggage. Their luggage would weigh as much as 60 pounds, and I mean, that's a crazy amount, you know, and, and they could force anyone to, to, to carry their luggage up to a thousand paces, or what you know, what we have translated mile, mile, a thousand uh, pasum paces, a thousand paces. Um, Jesus said, "You go duo mile pasum. You go twice as much. You go two thousand miles." Now, in reality, if you walk two thousand paces. I think I keep saying like 2,000 miles. 2,000 paces. (laughs) Imagine walking 2,000 miles. (laughs) You know, 2,000 paces. You then have to do what? 2,000 paces to get back. So when Jesus says you go the extra mile, he's not just saying go two miles. You're already going two miles. You're going one mile there, one mile back. Jesus is saying you're going to have to walk 4,000 paces. You walk 2,000 in one direction, and then when you're finished, then you walk that 2,000 paces back. Why is all that important? When we put all this together, what is, that, what is that about? That's about sacrificial living. You can't be obedient to the Great Commission without sacrifice. So when we put it all together, that's the mark of a disciple, If we're to make disciples and we're to be disciples and we are to to see all of that happen, we have to have transformational living. We have to have relational, uh, relational community. We have to have sacrificial living. All of those things work together. And the question then for us is, when was the last time that you sacrificed something for the kingdom of God? So... With that in mind, let's let's look at one last thought and we're going to pray together. The disciple who is living on mission for Christ has a life that is transformed by the word of God, relational in the mobilization of the gospel, and sacrificial for the kingdom of God. Let's pray.